Welcome back to Why Science, a podcast about behavioral and emotional health research at Virginia Commonwealth University in Richmond, Virginia. This series is produced by COBE, the College Behavioral and Emotional Health Institute, with support from the Alt Lab and the National Institute for Alcohol Abuse and Alcoholism. The theme song for Why Science is provided by Butcher Brown. Streamer purchased their music at butcherbrown.bandcamp.com. Today's guest is Courtney Simpson, a PhD student in counseling psychology at VCU who studies how eating disorders, obesity, and self-perception impact health and wellness outcomes in young adults. So I'm really excited today in the studio, we have Courtney Simpson, who is a PhD student at VCU in counseling psychology, who studies eating disorders. Courtney, thank you so much for joining us. Yeah, thanks for having me. I'm really excited to be here. So careers in science are never really linear, and I'm always fascinated by when people are first grasped by science as an idea. When was your moment when science became a focus for you? That's a really good question. Um, so actually, like as a child in elementary school, I hated science. It was my least favorite subject. And in eighth grade, we had to do a science fair, and I was really stumped with what to do. And I actually don't know where I got this idea, but I decided to do something on eating disorders, and I created a heart of someone that had bulimia for a really long time. And that's kind of my first um, time that I actually really enjoyed science. I was like, this is interesting. And throughout high school, whenever I did a research paper, I, looking back, a lot of things um, that I wrote about had something to do with a psychology lens. Um, I did some related to food, just um, happiness in general, but it wasn't really until college when I actually started getting involved in um, more in, in research more in depth. I think I just found a passion for psychology. I think eating disorders and just kind of the ways in which women view their bodies and how that comes to be was something that was really interested to me, interesting to me. And um, just kind of through talking with some of my undergrad professors, they were like, you know, you can do research on this and you can kind of contribute to the knowledge in the field. And I was like, well, that's pretty cool that I could I could play a role in, in um, understanding eating disorders and, and treating them. And so that's kind of what really sparked my interest and then motivated me to pursue a graduate degree in the field. So when you were looking at schools doing your undergrad, were you already kind of honed in on that psychology lens? Or is that when it finally blossomed? Like, was, was research a part of making that happen? Research was definitely a part of making that happen. So I kind of, um, in undergrad, was when I was really first got involved in research. And so I knew that I wanted to go in psychology. I wanted to study eating disorders. I wanted research research to be a component. And so that kind of facilitated my um the graduate schools that I was looking into. What was the first thing that you worked on research-wise? Like, what kind of work were you doing and what were you studying? Um, the first project that I was a part of in undergrad that I really devoted a lot of time to was um, looking at how to teach undergrads basic helping skills. So, um, you know, a lot of times, especially with a psychology degree, you typically have to go to get your master's or PhD to learn how to help, right? So those, some of those basic helping skills that we know, like active listening, paraphrasing, summarizing, things like that. And so my advisor at the time um, had developed a manual and that she implemented in a course to 
try and teach undergrads some of these basic helping skills. And so we were evaluating the course and um, doing some quantitative and qualitative data, looking at specifically like how the how the course helped teach undergrads how to help. And so what was your first personal project? So my first personal project, I did an undergrad honors thesis um, looking at attitudes and perceptions of different eating disorders in comparison with depression. And so I developed um, a couple different vignettes of people with anorexia, binge eating disorder, and bulimia and depression, and then had people randomize to read one of the vignettes. And then they kind of um, gave their opinions and um, ideas of that person. And so looked at different attitudes associated with different eating disorders. So just backtracking a little bit, um, for folks who may not be familiar, could you run through the types of eating disorders that you were just discussing and kind of a, a basic description of what they are? So the ones that we're most most people are most familiar with are anorexia nervosa. And so that is um, basically when an individual is at a significantly low body weight based on their age, their gender, and um and their height. And that's when, you know, people are really restricting, significantly restricting their food and um, have a very intense fear of weight gain. Bulimia nervosa is the other one that most people probably have heard of. Um, An individual with bulimia typically has episodes of binge eating, so eating large amount of qualities, quantities of food in a short amount of period of time, and then engaging in some type of compensatory behaviors to um, prevent the fear of weight gain, essentially. And these behaviors might be, you know, self-induced vomiting, laxatives, diuretics, um, excessive exercise. Um, Binge eating disorder was recently added to the new DSM. And so this is um, basically when individuals eat a large amount of food in a short period of time and they feel a lot of guilt or shame or disgust around the food that they consume. They feel really upset and distressed by it. Um, It has to occur, you know, on a certain amount of frequency for a certain amount of months in order to meet criteria. Um, And then what a lot of other people don't know is beyond the three main eating disorders, we actually have kind of a catch-all category, um, which is now OSFED. So it's other specified feeding or eating disorder. And this often captures the majority of um, eating disorder presentations that we see in treatment facilities or in in outpatient. Um, And often these are people that have some of the core features of eating disorders, but might not meet, you know, the specific frequency in which they need to meet for the, to meet the specific diagnosis. Or for example, they might be purging and engaging in compensatory behaviors, but not have that um, binge episode before. So going back to your honors thesis, did you find that there was different sort of stigma associated with these different disorders? Yeah. So the first thing that I really looked at was the stigma associated with the three eating disorders in comparison to to depression. And as one might expect, people did see that um, eating disorders were, you know, in more of a negative or harmful light, um, more self-inflicted. And then within that, people saw um, anorexia as kind of the Um, the most stigmatizing condition, really, and one that was people feared individuals with anorexia and just didn't seem to understand it as much. And so going from that experience to your work in your master's program, I know your thesis there was centered around 
uh, weight loss program or like programs that focus on weight loss as opposed to healthy uh, behaviors. So what was that transition like for you going from studying like the higher level and stigma associated with things to a more specific aspect of that? My master's thesis, the focus was actually looking at um, obesity prevention campaigns and kind of the stigma that can be ensued from that campaigns, from those campaigns. Um, So I looked at weight neutral campaigns, so campaigns that were facilitating, um, attempting to facilitate obesity prevention without any mention of weight, and then campaigns that used, were trying to facilitate obesity prevention that used weight terms like fat and obese and numbers and things like that. Um, And so what I found is that obesity prevention campaigns that that used term, weight-related terms, actually instilled more fear in individuals and more stigma associated with obesity. And um, people were more likely to then engage in behaviors that actually go against what the campaigns want to have occur. And so the, the kind of idea there was really to see, are these campaigns, these more stigmatizing campaigns, doing what they're intended to? And the result was no. <laughs> if you're looking at a campaign that could be geared in a more positive light, what would that look like? I think really just focusing on the ways in which you feel in your body. Um, I think that everybody's different. And so really focusing on how you're feeling, you know, are you feeding your body well? And how does it feel when you eat different foods? How does it feel when you exercise? And so focusing on what feels healthy for you as an individual. And so framing it in terms of not even living necessarily a healthy life, but just a balanced life and a life that you feel good in. Things have changed a lot over the past 10 or 15 years with the advent of social media, and I imagine that's had a massive impact on eating disorders specifically. And I know you published an article about uh, Fitspiration posts on Pinterest, and I was wondering if you could tell us a little bit about what Fitspiration is and kind of what your findings were of the impact of social media on the stigma that you've been studying for a lot of your career. So social media very much we can follow different individuals that can promote different things and for a long time there's this idea of thin inspiration or this idea um, on a lot of individuals that was kind of promoting eating disorders in a sense um, these images focused on really emaciated young women um, so fit inspiration has been a more recent trend in the past I don't know six years or so and this is posting not um, Not necessarily super thin women, but women who are, and men actually, who, um, you know, have muscles or more athletic figures. And so the study that I actually published just kind of was a couple years ago when Fitspiration was was newer and looking at really kind of what are the body types, what are the messages that are portrayed on these Fitspiration um, social media sites. And so what I found is that um, these Fitspiration sites, although often intending or seemingly better in quotes than Thinspiration, they're really not promoting um, health as much. They're still focusing on this aspect of appearance. So the idea is we exercise in order to improve our appearance. Um, You know, we eat something to improve our appearance. And 
we look at research and research shows that exercising and eating well for appearance reasons opposed to health reasons is actually associated with more negative outcomes like eating disorders, body dissatisfaction, less well-being, things like that. So can you tell me about the study that you're doing and kind of how people can get involved? Yes, I'm so excited. So I'm currently um, working on my dissertation, which has been a product of I feel like all of my research to date and something that I feel very passionate about. Um, So I'm really interested in not only specifically eating disorders, but just kind of the spectrum of weight-related disordered eating concerns. And I'm really passionate about trying to really just get women to love their bodies. Um, It really frustrates and angers me how prevalent body dissatisfaction is and how common it is for women to talk down about themselves. And so I, um, for my dissertation, I have developed a program to really try and promote body acceptance, body appreciation, body love, and living a healthy life at the same time. Um, And so I've been, I integrated a couple different other programs. Um, I conducted some some focus groups last spring to try and make these this program really more culturally relevant. So not oftentimes we've seen eating disorder prevention programs really focus on this thin ideal. Um, but we know that that's not relevant for everyone. That's not relevant for women of um, other races and ethnicities. And so I've tried to make the con- the content of the program more relevant to a broader group of, of women. Um, so we focus a lot on really trying to combat different standards of beauty that women might feel that pressure them to modify their appearance in some way. Um, So there's that aspect of it. Then there's also an aspect that's really just trying to teach how to live a balanced life. Um, So how can you, you know, incorporate, you know, positive dietary habits into your life and also, you know, find exercise that you enjoy and that you that makes you feel good. And the last component is um, really introducing some basic ways to help you manage your maybe uncomfortable, distressful emotions that you might feel when, you know, exams are coming up or you're breaking it, you broke up with a partner, things with family are getting crazy. So I've developed this program. Um, like I mentioned, really to just promote body acceptance and healthy living in college women. And it's going to take place at the Wellness Resource Center here at VCU, um, hopefully starting early September. And it'll be an eight-week long program in a group format, so you can really get support with um, other women that are you know, feeling kind of the same things and have the same type of experience, experiences that you've had. And um, yeah, I think it's going to be a great, a great way to kind of facilitate um, a community of you know self-love and living a healthy, balanced life while in the midst of the crazy college years. If all of this works out in the best way possible, would the goal for this to be a program that would be offered broadly across campus or, or where would the where would this be headed? In terms of my dissertation, you know, this is really I just developed the manual myself. And so the first this year, we'll kind of be doing a, a feasibility and acceptability study and really looking at is, you know, is this working? What are the people that are participating? Like, what's their feedback? What can we do to improve um, the people that are leading it? You know, how how are they? What are their thoughts about the intervention, the program, and what can we do to make it better? Um, but yeah, ideally down the road, the the plan is to then take the feedback from the program this year 
and then incorporate that to make it better and make it more widely available, um, not only on the VCU campus, but on other campuses across the U.S. as well. So it's a specifically like college targeted program. Do you think that there would be any potential you know, broadening it beyond that to a more community-based approach. Definitely, definitely, and I think that would be a great, a great thing to happen in the future. Um, you know, I think given the fact that you know this is a dissertation project and something that I'm doing here at VCU, you know, and uh, more of a feasibility and acceptability trial, I'm using a more convenient sample. But down the road, I would love to find ways to expand this to you know, even broader populations and in community settings as well. And in comparing populations, I'm curious, um, what are prevalence rates like for eating disorders in college versus younger or older folks? Like is college a specific period where it becomes more of an issue? Yeah. So we typically see um, for anorexia specifically, we usually see that around like high school years are kind of usually when that emerges. But bulimia and binge eating disorder typically tend to be more in young adulthood, specifically around transitions and a big transition that a lot of college students face is moving from their home to college. And that often is associated with increases in, you know, disordered eating behaviors, which is why I think this is such an important program to really start now um, and implement in a college population. Are there any other issues that kind of run in parallel with them? Like I'm thinking with college, there's obviously issues with drinking and and substance use in general. Like do those things combine in any way or relate to one another? Very much so. Um, We see a lot of, specifically with eating disorders, a lot of um, depression and anxiety. Um, And so that's very common, but also with more, um, with more so with like bulimia and binge eating disorder, we often see um, co-occurrences of substance abuse and impulsive, more riskier behavior. And so part of the program that I'm um, developing that I was talking about. Also, the the goal with including some of these emotion regulation kind of strategies to help you manage your emotions is also kind of to target some of that and to help you, you know, deal with your emotions and process your emotions in a way that makes you feel good and doesn't lead to, you know, unintentional harmful outcomes in the long term. Speaking just broadly about things that you're interested in looking at in the future, are there any aspects of this that you might not be able to explore within this study that are kind of you're thinking about as like next steps of things that you would want to look at? Yeah, that's a really good question. I think um, in general, I'm really interested in prevention and advocacy. And so I think um, I want to continue moving forward with that. One thing that I think that I really want to address is more body diversity, I think, and like an intuitive eating approach and how we can incorporate that more so into prevention efforts in terms of um, really facilitating just ways that people can more so listen to their bodies and um ways in which they can find physical activities that they do really enjoy and ways that we can learn to appreciate bodies of all different shapes and sizes. And so like as a member of the community, whether you're a student at VCU or or just a person in general, what can you do to support people who are dealing with eating disorders and and broadly like how how can people promote body positivity in in their day-to-day lives? Yeah, well, I think one thing that, although social media has its downfalls, there's actually a lot of great 
benefits as well. There's a lot of great body positivity accounts, especially on Instagram, um, that you can follow and that promote, you know, body positivity, body acceptance. I think that's a great thing that I've seen be helpful for people of a lot of different um, body sizes. There's some great podcasts that you can listen to that are also about intuitive eating, body positivity. Um, I think specifically for people that are currently struggling with an eating disorder, um, if you've never struggled with an eating disorder yourself, it's going to be really hard for you as an outsider, as someone that cares and supports for someone with an eating disorder to understand. And so my advice would be, be there as a support supportive person. Recognize that you might on, not understand, but do what you can to support that person, be there for them, listen to them, and um and find ways in which you can provide them with resources. So the National Eating Disorder Association um, is an excellent, excellent resource. So you can just go to nita.com or type in National Eating Disorder Association. They have fantastic resources um, for here in Richmond as well as all across the U.S. Um, and just some great ideas about how to support someone in recovery or that's struggling currently. I think, you know, the university counseling services, they also have some great people over there that know how to work with these conditions and um, support people in their journey to, you know, live a more balanced, happy, healthy life. Um, the Wellness Resource Center and Student Health, they have a dietitian there on staff that also is very, very willing and really excited to help people um, also get on this path to enjoying food, loving food, and establishing a healthy relationship with food. So there's some great resources here on campus as well as online um, that people can, can go to. And so circling back to the study that you're about to start, uh, if someone wants to be involved, uh, how would they go about doing that? If you want to be involved, um, I encourage you to just email me directly. Um, so my email is simpsoncc2 at vcu.edu. So that's S-I-M-P-S-O-N-C-C-2 at vcu.edu. The first thing that I'll have you do is fill out a really quick screener. It's going to take less than five minutes just to make sure that you're eligible for the study. Um, and after that, we can set you up for um, baseline assessments. And there is, um, you will get paid for participating in the study as well, um, specifically completing the assessments. So yeah, I'd love to speak with you and talk to you more about the study or um, get you signed up. Thank you so much for joining us. And we'll be sure to check back in once the study is over to see how everything goes. Yeah, thanks so much for having me. Thanks to Courtney Simpson for joining us, and thank you for listening. Stay tuned for a new episode of Why Science each month on iTunes, SoundCloud, and our home website, kobe.vcu.edu. Until next time, take care. Bye.